welcome to this week's show, and we look at a British classic starring the late Lewis Collins. Who Dares Wins is inspired by real events, and has been for many years classed as an action classic. When the SAS is called upon to do what we're trained to do, we have been likened to a surgeon cutting out a cancer. It's a filthy and difficult job. We don't like doing it, but it's our duty. We are dealing with the hardcore revolutionaries who are using the peace movement as a cover. Just two people seem to be running the people's lobby. A woman, Frankie Lee, and a fellow, Rod Walker. They're planning something. We've got to know what it is. His ex-SAS. Oh, it's kicked in it. Why? Political problem. I expect we need your expertise. Terrorists burst into the official residence of the American ambassador. And what if we refuse to give you your nuclear explosion? Then we begin killing everyone here. is arranged by Bob Simmons and is predominantly based at Pinewood Studios which also doubles as the ambassador's residence that stormed during the movie. The biggest element in this movie, as good as the leading cast and stunts are, are the SAS themselves who not only advise and provide equipment for the film but also take part in the storming sequence. Stuntman Martin Grace had spent a number of weeks training and being advised by the SAS at their barracks in Hereford. A team of stunt performers were due to hang from the side of the helicopters and abseil down to the roof of Pinewood Studios as the assault force. But upon watching the training and rehearsal, the SAS unit decided that as this movie was a promotional exercise, they would feel happier to perform the sequence themselves. And this didn't just stop there. They offered their services during a number of set pieces throughout the film. This is how important this movie is to the service, which is just another reason why its action sequences are first class. Any actor that says he does all his own stunts is a liar. That film clip you've just seen from Who Dares Wins was a fight I did almost all myself except for one moment. That was when I was supposed to go through a glass coffee table, but the producer decided to double me. Not that he's worried about hurting me, nor about worried about losing his money. Or if a lead actor so much as twists his ankle, it can cost thousands of pounds in lost studio time. This is really how Stuntman first came into being, doubling for the lead artist. The late, great Lewis Collins there, explaining the producer's reasoning for doubling him in that fight in Frankie's flat. In fact, he's doubled by two different Stuntmen during the fight. Uh, remember that there's a great deal of furniture being smashed about during the scuffle, uh, but the room only has two tables. The 
dinner table, which has a glass top, is the first to go. And for this, he's doubled by Rocky Taylor and uh, was captured on a couple of cameras, one positioned underneath the table, catching Rocky as he hits the floor. Real glass, by the way. Then Martin Grace steps in for the gag over the sofa through the coffee table. And remember, the character has a rope around his neck and is being swung around the room. It's very cleverly worked out with Bob Simmons and production designer Sid Kane, who added a small step on the back side of the sofa, allowing Martin to get over the back of it and be able to land squarely on the breakaway table. It's a great fight. Now then, the riot in the church is another moment that has a number of faces that I'll try and point out for you here, but is a multiple camera shot which took a day or so to film. One face that appears in a few different wardrobe changes is stuntman Tip Tipping, who's given the line, Oi, sit down, shut up, give him a chance, will you? He's always one of those stunt boys you could rely on for good dialogue. Up in the balcony, stuntman Greg Powell is being laid into by half a dozen music lovers, one of which is Martin Grace, who is punched and falls over the balcony, drags himself back only to receive a headbutt from Greg, sending him falling down to the aisle below. Another face that turns up is a bit of a surprise because of the nature of the fight, but due to him being hard as nails, really doesn't surprise anybody. Joe Powell. You may remember Joe playing Sergeant Windridge in Zulu back in 1964, and he was a man who wouldn't be out of place in the SAS itself. In 1942, he was seconded to a special service commando unit which took part in the raid on Dieppe, overturning the Nazi stronghold, sadly with the loss of 275 fellow commandos. Now, in Who Dares Wins, he's 60 years old and as active as he was in those early days of cinema, a real legend of the stunt business. Sadly here, he gets beaten up by skinheads. Well, that's entertainment for you. Also in the mix, is stuntman Nick Hobbs, and there's two policemen who enter the church are Graham Crowther and Tim Condren. As I mentioned earlier, the SAS were keen to make this movie about them look as good as possible. General Sir Peter Edgar de la Billiere, who was the director of the SAS at the time, was keen to provide the production with whatever it needed, uh, official secrets prevailing that is, and not only provided three active service helicopters, but 22 SAS regiment were at their disposal on set for those scenes that required serious on-screen authenticity. Skellen finds one of the terrorists trying to take a shot from a window at the American Secretary of State, played by Richard Widmark. Skellen kills him with a burst of machine gun fire and he falls from the window. The gag was performed by stuntman Terry Cade, who nearly missed the landing bed on one of the takes. Gave the rig a glancing blow before rolling off onto the grass. His years of martial arts in Hong Kong given him wonderful flexibility and the ability to walk away from this unscathed. In the film, Peter is then found by his SAS colleagues and then goes in search of the remaining terrorist, Frankie Leith. The following sequence of Lewis Collins running down a corridor with his team of SAS behind him is an extremely iconic image, and the film's music by Roy Budd drives the blood through the veins much faster. Eventually he finds her, or by chance, as she steps out of a doorway. He freezes for a second, and in that second one of the SAS colleagues 
kills her with another burst of gunfire. She's seen crashing through a door and slumping against the wall behind. The stunt is performed by stuntman Malcolm Weaver, who was attached to what was called a jerk harness in the old days, but would now be called a ratchet, which is attached to Malcolm by a cable on a vest he wears under his costume. On action, the cable is pulled back at great force, causing his feet to leave the ground as he goes backwards, simulating the force of the bullet impacts. Again, remember that in 1982, the UK had six stunt women who were registered, just not enough to go round, so Malcolm, being slight of frame, was used to double actress Judy Davis. The movie still has everything you'd want from an action thriller, and it also gets to speculate about what might have happened if Lewis Collins had filmed the other two movies in his three-picture contract with producer Ewan Lloyd. Wild Geese 2 was the first, but was offered later to actor Scott Glenn when the story changed, and a follow-up to Who Dares Wins set around the time of the Falklands War, but sadly, never got made. There you go, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel. If you get a chance to leave a five-star review, that would be hugely beneficial. Until next week, bye for now.